Welcome to the future. It's the end of work as we know it. Technology has made work awesome, and the happiness quotient of every worker is at an all-time high. In this podcast, we unbox opinions and sentiments of thought leaders who help draw a virtual blueprint of what the future of work will look like, where AI and humans complement each other. Here's your host, VJ, welcoming you to the Unboxing Future of Work podcast. Hey, Tom, great having you here with me today in the Unboxing Future of Work series. Tom, I know you're a great writer in the tech and finance space, especially talking about tech companies, how they're progressing, what, what is the impact that they're making. And here in, in the series we talk about, we invite this future of work gurus who can a little bit talk about a specific area of future of work that's impacting and, you know, in their area of expertise. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tom, just want to get started with a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Where is home? You know, what actually drives what you're doing? Just a bit, a bit of your personal stuff and professional stuff, how you've been here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm based in Southern California. Been here my whole life, close to the LA area. I live in Pasadena, which is close to the LA area. So can't complain about the weather. It's always good here, except yeah, sometimes yeah. during the summer. I do uh, head up to Silicon Valley quite a bit. You know, pre-COVID, I was probably there once or twice a month. And then I write for Forbes.com. It's me kind of in contact with people that are doing interesting things. And I've been writing for that publication since the since it started in the mid-90s. I also advise a couple of companies here in Southern California, tech companies. I've written some books, kind of basically how I spend my time. I can usually put in a full day most days. <laughs> so so you're, you're full-time into writing, right? The interesting thing about your writing, which I follow very closely, is you know you, you keep it very clear and simple about how some of these tech companies are doing, not just technically, but also there financially and what it means to the industry. Uh, I think that that's really interesting for people who are tech investors or tech stock investors at the same time who really follow technology. I was always curious, how do you really go about it? I mean, being a writer, I can understand somebody writing a fictional novel, I'll, I'll write something about, you know, some inspirational stuff, but writing about tech stuff, this stuff changes very, very fast. And, you know, what you know in a month back cannot be the same thing here. And they might have bought a company, they would have done things differently, they would have pivoted. So how do you grow about it? What, what's your approach like in writing? And how do you... How do you think on how do you approach, how do you research and how do you get what you want to write? Well, you know, uh, in terms of writing, I've actually been writing since I was in high school. That's when I started in computers. Uh, and I used to write programs for, for magazines back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd write, they had magazines where you, the code was actually in the magazines. And then I would write an article that explained the code. So I have a, you know, more of a technical background, but my background was explaining to someone who really didn't know coding how to code. And so I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, um, from my school. And, uh, back probably in 90s, early 90s. When is that? Early, early 80s. So oh, early 80s? Ni- wow. 1980s, yeah. I was born then. I'm okay, yeah, yeah. I was in high school at the time. That's kind of how I got my start. And then I just continued with technology and writing these two things. And the interesting thing, too, is that writing code is like writing, like any kind of writing. It is a language. Mm-hmm. It has its own vocabulary. Language, yeah, you just need to know the language, yeah. Exactly. So, and it's about clarity and making your point. I spent a lot of time in high school, actually, trying to be a good writer. And I think practice. So I think those are the two main things. That, that gave you a clear, simple, it's a simple segue for you to start writing about tech companies. And, and then you have really good clarity on finance as well. I mean, you really can look at the numbers and talk about yeah. what's happening behind the numbers. Yeah. Finances, to me, it's not that difficult. 
Uh, there's a balance sheet, an income statement, cash flow statement. I, I took accounting when I was in high school, uh, uh-huh. a year of accounting. Yeah. I was a business major in in college. I only took one computer class in college because I, I felt like I had spent like my half my life in computers anyway. I wanted to learn business, the business side of things. And by the time I was out of college, I had a lot of classes on the cores of finance and, and accounting. Mm-hmm. You know, how to read a you know, balance sheet, you know, how to write a, how to read a financial report. Exactly. Yeah? exactly. And when you, when you look at it, it's actually not that hard. But you, you pick some very interesting companies like Twilio. I see one of them you really follow closely. So how do you pick some or the other there? tons of companies which ones do you normally follow what's your approach towards which company you want to write about yeah that's a good question i do get pitched by pr people so that's okay. one source okay you know i read just like everyone else and what's happening i go to different conferences in terms of twilio i actually met jeff lawson eight or nine years ago in the early days so i had a you know connection that's there. a good thing about writing early right yeah <laughs> yeah so you know all the kids I mean, I, I know, I know, kind of the the CEOs, and I mean, I, I got to know Mark Benioff at Salesforce during the during the early days of Salesforce. Yeah, so, yeah, two thousand. Yeah, so a lot of times I learn about these companies before they go public. You know, so by the time they're already mm-hmm. up and running, and you know, their stock is trading, I may have already been following them for years. You know, and, you, still, and you, then you start picking up them for writing. Which you know, which, you know uh, well, even, you've been... be- even before. So like Forbes, I'll do a lot of pre-IPO companies. But public, it won't say public. It's kind of interesting because then you really know what's going on. They have to disclose. The they have to disclose everything. Yeah, awesome. I can see it there as well. You wrote a book about RPA, the RPA handbook, mm-hmm. which is popular. And I think it's one of the very early stage books actually written. RPA is very, very recent and it's an industry that's just created in, literally in five years and as a software category. What pick that you should write about RPA and out of all the technologies out there and how do you think RPA is changing the future of work? Uh, you know, I, I, in general, I'm say automation. Uh, yeah. What's your opinion about it? And I'm thinking you have some really good affinity about automation and how it's going to impact it, architect in yeah. general. So what's yeah. the views? Well, I mean, automation has been around for a long time. I mean, GM mm-hmm. automated their factories during the 60s with robots and uh, business process management, BPM, has been around since the 1970s. Yes. Um, automation has generally been difficult and complicated for companies to pull off. You know, like with BPM, you have to really think about the, a lot of the processes on a very scaled out way. It tends to be takes time and it's expensive and the ROI mm-hmm. is not necessarily clear. Um so the BPM business has kind of lagged for a long time until the whole low code, no code has come about. You know? yeah. But RPA has actually been around for 20 years. A lot of people don't know that. And the key there with RPA is that the return on investments tends to be very quick if you do it right. That's the key thing if you do it right, just like with anything. But uh, as opposed to a lot of other automation technologies, like I said, which the ROI wasn't always clear and it took a long time. Exactly. That's not the case with RPA. So... The way I, I learned about it a few years ago, just because I, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal, and I started writing about it for Forbes, and then um, I got more interested in it and saw that the value of this business and the, the potential, and then I, I decided to write the book. Yeah. And how was the journey like, you know, what kind of research that you did? You spoke to some customers about it, like, what were the challenges? How did you see this whole thing coming up And you spoke to customers and you managed to talk into some companies, mm-hmm. some individuals? What was the story? Yeah, so I, I talked to the main players, uh, some of the other smaller players, the vendors, the software vendors. Mm-hmm. I talked to some of the uh, consultants like at KPMG and Accenture, and then the, the customers, you know, whether it be non-tech customers or, or tech customers. I mean, the, 
internet is a great place to do research. Uh, did you find yeah. any ugly facts? Did you? I mean, it was fascinating on the paper, but did you find that? I mean, there's a lot of uh, lessons learned by people working with these companies implementing automation. You know, there there is a marketing hype from some of these companies, and there's actually a reality behind. You know, if you if you look at the average number of bots deployed, are not more than five. Uh, you know, there, there are so many statistics talking about the scale, the problem of this technology. Right. So did you find any of them? Uh, what oh, are yeah. some of the good and bad? Hadith? Yeah, no, there's, uh, you know, like I said, it depends on, you know, if you do it right. Um, yeah, that was the key. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are the cases where companies jumped into something, didn't really have a plan, didn't have a COE. You know, the, I don't think it's necessarily the number of bots that matters. It's just like, yeah. are you solving the problems you need to solve? If you only need five bots to do that, that's great. If you need a thousand bots, maybe that's what you need yeah exactly um, there's a company that actually just recently went, went public this week called first advantage they do background checks uh, for companies on employees and partners and then reading through the the prospectus they say that rpa was a key key to their company's success and they have over 2200 bots wow and because they have they, you know they have huge data sources you know criminal records criminal yeah they got to do 100 things right for one background check they must be doing hundreds yeah, so of yeah. you know you could hire a thousand people to do that or you can create 2200 bots to do that exactly. that's what they did they were able to scale their so, business. rpa can scale it just takes time and, and it just takes time like any technology to scale it just yeah. takes time and it just takes right approach as you mentioned uh, and now it's a commodity. I think that it's it's about the curve, hype curve now, and people are now able to start taking it right. That's where we see value. And now there's an interesting perspective that's coming up, Tom. Like um, the whole digital skills in the future of work. Um, coming back to that side of the story, technology is evolving so fast. There are so many technologies coming in, and you know the low code, no code explosion. You know people can just literally create apps in weeks now, and then just spread out there for users to use them. But Somebody users have to absorb that, right? It's it's just too many apps coming in towards them. Say for doing one particular end-to-end task or process, they, they might be having three or four apps minimum. With this all these apps coming in and people have to learn, there is a digital skills gap. They say around 55% of the people have to immediately raise skill to be digitally relevant. How do you see AI and automation putting a helping hand there? It's just not about automating for the sake of automating work, but actually automating and AI assisting. And enabling people. Do you think do you think there is a way that uh, you know this problem can be solved using AI and automation? The whole digital mm-hmm. skills problem that we're getting into. Well, I think the the solution is probably automation in the near term. AI is a tougher tougher thing to pull off. We can identify a picture of something. You know, like I put my phone on something and it. it says, oh, that's a giraffe or whatever. We're getting a lot better at AI, but you know, does a, can AI really create a self-driving company right now? And no, no, the answer is absolutely no. But but can automation uh, save time, effort, hours? Uh, absolutely. And um, we got a taste of that because of COVID. And the reason is that companies had no choice but to do that. They had all these workers that were remote or they had to let go of people. And so they, they were forced into automation and it, it was a big boost to the low code players. I would say that uh, I think in the next few years, it'll still be the automation RPA part of the, you know, part of technology. Yeah. That's the adoption going, going much more. Yeah. A- AI is about taking lots of data and running algorithms across it and coming up with insights 
And there's large companies that are successful with that. You know, they can do uh, predictive maintenance on oil rigs, things of that sort. But uh, as to automate the worker or kind of the work experience, um, I think that's more the game for RPA right now. Yeah. And I think Gartner is now talking about uh, total experience. It's just not about, you know, back office. Some of these RPA companies are limited to. Uh, you know, there's a lot happening on the front office and the, and the customer experience side. So, um, you know, it's just not about customer experience and employee experience. It's all about total experience now. And uh, RPA could be one of the key pillars there, right? And sure. you mentioned low-code, no-code as well briefly. So what could be some of these future of work tech, if you can call it, right? What are these, you know, there were CRMs, there were ERPs, there were, uh, you know, all these uh, analytics and BI, you know, we've been seeing waves of these technologies being at the peak and, you know, uh, companies adopting them, start realizing value and still still investing in those technologies. So uh, now the time is automation and AI uh, is one of the wave, right? And uh, what else is the future of tech for you? What, what are the combination of pillars of technology coming together which will drive the next wave of uh, productivity and experiences? Yeah, so I think longer term, it'll it'll be AI. And I think AI will be something like CRM. It's like today, if you have a company and you don't have a CRM or ERP, you're, you're in trouble. Probably not going to be a great company. Those are just yeah, tools you yeah. just have to have, right? I think AI will be similar. I think 10 years from now, AI will be just like having CRM today. It's just like, it's just something you just have. Now, what's ironic about it is, uh, I talked to Tom Siebel recently, who's the the CEO, you know, he created Siebel System, which happened to be the CRM, you know, the uh-huh. original. Yeah, I know. Tom Siebel. Who doesn't know Tom Siebel? I think he started C3 now, right? And C3 AI, which he yeah. took public recently. And it's one of the, yeah. you know, it's kind of there with Palantir as one of the major AI, nice. enterprise AI companies. But he told me that uh, uh, he used to work at Oracle. Back in the early days of Oracle, companies would build their own databases. And it got to the point where they were saying, you know, this is ridiculous. We're not going to do that. We're just going to buy it from Oracle or Sybase. And then the early days of CRM, companies would actually build their own CRM systems. Yeah. And that got to be ridiculous. And, you know, I would go to Salesforce or Siebel or whoever to get my CRM. It was just much better way of doing it. You know, today we have a lot of companies that do their own AI uh, with not a lot of success. Yeah, I think eventually over the next 10 years, uh, it could be C3 AI, it could be Palantir. Well, I don't know what companies or Microsoft or some startup we've never heard of, but there'll probably be a variety of startups and or a variety of companies that'll dominate this AI space and companies will just probably buy it, you know, from these companies. I don't think many companies have the, the technical capacity to to run these these AI projects. And so I think uh, for the years, AI, AI is going to look like the CRM or ERP market, but I think it'll provide a lot of value to companies. I, I really do. And uh, in a different, in different types of value in terms mm-hmm. of understanding your customers, you know, you know, improving your churn rate or, you know, like you said, instead of just the back office, the typical back office things, but really more customer facing uh, parts of the business is where it adds add tremendous value to your company. As you rightly mentioned about AI, you know, the adoption becoming much more mainstream. Have, now the cloud is mainstream. Open source is mainstream. Some of these things were not existing in the, in the erstwhile era when other technologies were, you know, becoming popular. That was only commercial software, you know, era. 
Now, in the open source era, what's happening is uh, it's being democratized. And I think the differentiation is going about who has the right set of data, right? Um, so there are the big tech companies like, you know, Microsoft, Amazon, and then Google, Facebook, they have their own data sets. But I think uh, what we feel uh, would be, you know, industry leaders like, you know, GEs of the world or, you know, uh, oil companies, the top industry, they might start thinking their data is their new asset and they can create these models, which actually can give it to other players in the industry. So uh, slowly, it's just not about resources, natural resources. Uh, they're, you know, like what AWS did with uh, its cloud business, right? Amazon did with AWS. They invested in huge capacity and then they started selling it to others. Right. So uh, there could be interesting business models coming up, new business players coming up. Whoever has the best data, who can solve some problems in the industry wide, uh, they could be the new winners. That's what I kind of think. You know, there are some specialized AI companies out there. They never have data. They still are relying on some customers' data to really build their models. Whether you know some of the right. companies that you mentioned, uh, you know, whoever is going to have the data is going to be the key. Uh, right. That brings us to um, a quick rapid fire round. So, uh, favorite book? Oh, wow. I read a lot of books. I know you're a writer, so it's a tricky question uh, for you. And this is the fast round? Top of the mind. Uh, I, I like to read thrillers. So, uh, the key, uh, uh, Eye of the Needle by Ken Follett. Ah, okay. Nice I read, one. I read it while I was in high school. I'll read it like every three or four years. I love it. It's Just great. to go back to those memories, you know. And books have that. It can be that when you read the first time yeah. and you read it again, you'll, you can go back to that time when you read the first time, you know, yeah. where you read it, how you read it, you know, it, it's the memories. Then the favorite company? Oh, wow. Who's my favorite company? This might be controversial. Microsoft. Mm, why? Is it uh, the way that Satya is leading it now? or? Uh, I, I think it's a, is it one of those rare companies that has built both a consumer and enterprise business? Mm-hmm. One of the first companies to really understand ecosystems and platforms. I got, I got to know Bill Gates when I was in high school. He used to come to our computer club. Oh, wow. School. And I always thought that smart because most companies can't come up with all the ideas. And Microsoft was clearly one of those companies. But they were always, at least in the early days, they were always able to find the great ideas and execute them, execute on them extremely well. Even today, even today. I think today, right? Yeah, I think during the Balmer area era, things kind of went off the rails. Um, but you know, new leadership has brought back that mojo back. Yeah, yeah. I also like uh, their history in development. I grew up on on Microsoft development tools. You know, like a Visual uh, Basic or that's like kind of first love, you know. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time with Microsoft and appreciate what they have built over the years and how they've been able to deal with adversity, come back from adversity. Uh, now, I think Apple's are another great company. I have Apple products, but I have more of an affinity for, for Microsoft. So uh, that's my pick. Microsoft. Awesome. And Windows 11 looks exciting. It's yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> who would have who would have thought? They're re- really rethinking and innovating. Yeah, I think they're doing a good job. I, I yeah. own stock in the company. I always have. So I made a lot of money on that stock too. So, so yeah, I it's a disclosure, I is it? I, I can't Full complain. Disclosure. Yeah, I can't complain. What's the app that you use the most? Uh, <laughs> you got to check your screen, right screen history to tell you what which app you use the most. Yeah, because I do use, I mean, I use throughout the day, I, I use my Yahoo Finance. 
Okay. Because I do follow stocks a lot. You know, maybe like Pandora, some of the music. Pandora? Apps. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. it's not as cool as Spotify, but Audible is another one. I mean, there's a variety. I don't know which one is like my favorite. I'll listen to music throughout the day or when I go to the gym or go for a walk. So I use a lot of music apps. And then the finance app, I rely on quite a bit. There, there is a small trick to it, you know, to answer the, the, the first app you click, right? When you get up and uh, you take your phone, alarm, which is the first app. app. My alarm app. My alarm app. It wakes me up. <laughs> well, my email is always what I look at first. Actually, probably my email is my most used app. Yeah, then that's it. And because yeah. that's the one first thing that you click because... And that's what your mind tells you. This, this is what yeah. I need to do. Yeah. Everything so else can get, be optional. Yeah. So I have an iPhone, but you know, after I get wakened by the alarm, the first thing I always do is look at my email. Yeah. Old habits. So that's awesome. So that completes the fire round rapid. Okay. Um, you did great. And uh, so last question, Tom. I ask every uh, future of work guru. There's a lot of youngsters coming into the workforce now. And uh, the world is not the same. And it's not going to be stay same because technology is now much more rapidly um, changing and developing and, uh, you know, every two years, three years, there's a new technology and within the same technology, it's completely being rewritten. The way that AI was done until 2018 is different from the way that AI is being done in 21. And I'm sure in 23, 25, the AI will be completely different. You know, how do, how do we become successful? How do you really stay and, you know, approach your career going forward if you're, if you're starting your journey right now? Okay. So I would, you know, you talked about reskilling or skilling or, that, that's just a constant thing, you know? So, you know, a few years ago, I didn't really know anything about RPA, you know? Now, some people think I'm an expert on RPA, you know? Uh, <laughs> now, I spent a lot of time on RPA. Um, yeah. You know, years ago, I didn't, I didn't know what AI was, but, you know, I, I have a you know, good sense of what it is. The good thing is, is that you don't have to go to college anymore to learn that. You don't have yeah. to go get an MBA you know, or a data scientist degree or anything like that, you can go to YouTube, you know? So I think self-learning is very important in this day and age. You know, how many people have the time, you know, it's, it's expensive. It takes time to go through these formal courses. Um, and you, you know, you could just go to YouTube and, you know, there's, it's amazing the amount of content uh, you, you can find on there. So I just think it's a continuous educational process. Uh, and in terms of, you know, where to focus on, uh, I do think AI is, is important, um, but start with the basics. So learn about statistics, you know, and probabilities, you know, what is Bayes theorem, you know, what is standard deviation, you know, all this stuff you learned in high school and you forgot, but for business people, it's going to be more and more important to understand that because AI is about probabilities and, um, you really do need to know some of those bedrock concepts of statistics to, to get by. And I think business is becoming more data-driven and more analytical. So the tools that you have there for that are going to be very critical for you. Start there and then you can build up, you know, learn about what is machine learning. And then maybe, you know, what is NLP? And it's like I said, it's amazing what you can find on YouTube. And then they'll have these yeah. visual descriptions and how it works. So when I was writing my AI book, you know, Bayes theorem, again, I didn't, I knew what that was, but I hadn't studied that since I was probably in high school or college. So I, I went on a YouTube video and started learning about Bayes theorem and it was great. <laughs> and I relearned it. So constant relearning, you know, focused on kind of these analytical topics, because I think that's going to become more, 
more and more important uh, for you as a business. And then I think that the next lesson is, is don't get caught up in the, the technology. You know, after I said, I'll learn all this stuff about technology and I say, don't get caught up, caught up in it. But remember, when you're in a business, if you're a manager or you're running the business or you're CEO or whatever, you know, it's not about buying the latest technology. It's about seeing how that technology can help solve your problems and improve your business and make your business better for your customers. Yeah. Always start from there. Yeah. Understanding yeah. business is the most important skill, right? I mean, exactly. otherwise, yeah. where can you bring the tech? Yeah. Yeah. So, but I see it a lot of times the other way around. You know, start, people will say, we got to do AI. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. So, what are we going to do that? You know, and you might realize that we, you could solve that problem without AI. There's a lot of problems you can solve without AI. So, for yeah. example, if I go to an ATM, I want to get money from a, my ATM. And let's say it had, uh, let's say it had an accuracy rate of 98%. For an AI model, that's really good. For an ATM, that's horrible. You're not going to have yeah. a really good customer experience. You do not want AI for when you take money out of an ATM. Yeah, you may want AI for facial recognition in the AI in the uh, ATM, or to recognize a signature. You know, if you have, happen to have a signature or recognize, is that a valid check for security purposes for fraud protection? Those are all the areas where the AI can work. But there's other functions in that ATM where you just want it to be 100% all the time at scale, globally, no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too, is understanding these technologies, but, uh, but also having a, a feel for where do you apply them and where they work and where they don't. And that's the business sense, right? absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And business so and making technology. It, making it practical. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, imagine in healthcare. I mean, if, if you're doing yeah. an operation, uh, AI is doing a operation and uh, <laughs> a minor change from here and there can be a big, uh, right. Big problem. So why, why, I, it's just about identifying where you want and uh, and keep honing the AI to do more where it makes sense than mm-hmm. trying to solve some unsolvable problem which which doesn't make sense. And you can great Tom. It's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, happy to yeah. have you. And it was a great conversation. I'm sure our audience would love some of the insights and inputs. And uh, congratulations for the work that you've been doing. Okay, sounds great. Really appreciate it. And thanks for everyone who. Uh, uh, listened and uh, you know good luck on your ventures thank you very much i appreciate it okay great all right thanks thank you for listening to this episode of unboxing future of work and we hope you will join us again for the next episode